House Elves of the Wizarding World Unite! You have nothing to lose but your tea towels. You're listening to the Quibbler Podcast, the Harry Potter book club for the masses. You know, house elves get a very raw deal. It's slavery, that's what it is. That Mr. Crouch made her go up to the top of the stadium and she was terrified. And he's got her bewitched. So she can't even run when they start trampling tents. Why doesn't anybody do something about it? Well, the elves are happy, aren't they? It's people like you, Ron, who prop up rotten and unjust systems just because they're too lazy to... Let's just keep moving, shall we? I'm Heather Price, right? And I'm Alex Dallenberg. And we have a special guest, so you have to introduce yourself too. Hi, I'm uh, Kyle Price Livingston. And Kyle is my cousin, and Kyle is a genius, and he is coming to guest host, and it's going to be super fun. Kyle, you should... Tell everybody, like, some things about yeah, you. What's your deal, man? What's your deal, man? <laughs> so, uh, let's see. I'm Heather's cousin. That's, that's most of the important stuff. I uh, live in Colorado. I'm a writer and an editor. Um, I do web comics and weird things that you can find in various places on the internet. Um, and uh, I have a newborn baby who may wake up and start crying at some point during this podcast. So God, I hope so. Fourth I hope guest so, host. So fourth much. host. Apple. Apple. Um, what's your Harry Potter? Tell us your Harry Potter credentials. Well, I, much like Alex, was very resistant to the series at first. Um, I didn't read all the books when they first came out. I was working as a projectionist in a uh, at a movie theater uh, when Goblet of Fire came out, and that was the first Harry Potter thing that I saw. And I thought, you know, as a movie, it was pretty fun. Uh, so I went back and watched the other movies. And then decided that I wanted to read the books and then didn't read the books because I was a loser and didn't have any, you know, didn't have anything organized until I went to Germany for a summer and only had the Harry Potter books in English because that's what the lady, the host lady had. And then I read them all and it was phenomenal. Then I fell in love with the series. I married a woman who loves Harry Potter even more than I do. Our honeymoon was at the Wizarding World of Harry Potter in Florida um, and, uh, I love butterbeer. Yes. <laughs> is butterbeer good at the Wizarding World? It, 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 Yeah, it's like cream soda with like an extra foam, like whipped creamy foam on top. That sounds so amazing. So if you like sugar, it's delicious. I love it's cream great. soda. You love cream soda. Yeah. I know that about you if I know anything. Oh, so you're like me. You didn't read the books until you were an adult. And, much, and, yeah, then, all, and then all at once. Mm-hmm. Ah. Yep. Interesting that Goblet... The film was your entree into the Wizarding World. Oh my That's god, because like, it's I nuts. feel like that might be one of the worst of the of the eight. Oh, I absolutely having yeah having now watched all the rest of them, I think it might be the worst. It's the one. It doesn't. This is a sidetrack, but it doesn't feel anything like a year of school. Which no, no. Anyway. <laughs> it's ins- yeah. yeah. Did you put your name on that goblet, Harry? <laughs> yeah, it's so weird. Uh, <laughs> there's some great gifts of that. All right, so okay, there's the oh, and fun fact: Kyle married us. Oh yeah, yeah, true. He did. Kyle performed our wedding ceremony, and it was incredible, and it was really nice. And I don't want to talk about it too much because I'll cry. Oh. oh, on this podcast, I don't think we've actually cursed yet. You will hear cursing and plenty of it. Maybe we shouldn't curse in front of the baby. Does Apple care? No, she, oh. she can't. She can't hear us. This this is great. I've been waiting. For <laughs> okay, hell curse. yeah. Um, you will also hear spoilers for this and future Harry Potter plots, etc. 
It's hard to spoil this plot because it's nonsense. And you will also hear some adult themes. This week's adult themes are skywriting, muckraking, self-incrimination, interspecies bigotry, and fancy dress parties. Alex, do you want to tell us what happened this week? Yes, I do. So in this week's chapters, Kyle's going to get a peek into how the sausage gets made here because it's always like... The recap is always really Oh my really god, it's rough. even longer Off. than it is in the actual cut episode. Yeah, it's like, really, I just talk for three hours and we take like the usable seven minutes. <laughs> is, okay, uh, but for real, is what, what happened? happened? But in this week's chapters, the Quidditch World Cup is over. Everybody's had a super awesome time. Harry Potter goes to bed with like seeing leprechauns flying over the tent, I guess through the canvas tent. It's like an apartment, but the roof is still canvas. Uh, I, I don't know. He can like, he can see the shimmery leprechauns uh, soaring overhead. So everyone is in a great mood, but then there's an abrupt tonal shift because Death Eaters, a parade of Death Eaters are like having an impromptu march through the Quidditch World Cup encampment. Mr. Weasley wakes everyone up. He's like, go run into the woods, children. Um, so Harry, Ron, Hermione, and the twins all take to the forest while Bill, Charlie, Percy, and Mr. Weasley go to help the ministry by cracking some Death Eater skulls. We meet various characters in the forest. Wait, what are the Death Eaters doing? Oh, the Death Eaters are parading through the encampment, and they are levitating the Roberts family and making them do, like, crazy gyrations in midair. I mean, they're essentially torturing them. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there's some hate crimes uh, going on. So they run into the forest. They see Ludo Bagman, who's looking really confused. And he's like, what the hell's going on? I don't know how to do my job. He disapparates. Uh, they see Winky, the house elf, who we didn't really introduce her in the last the no, last we chapter. Didn't. We met her though. Winky is Barty Crouch's house elf. He made her sit in the tip topmost box, and she was super freaked out because she's afraid of heights. She was saving his seat. Presumably, he had a numbered ticket though, so I don't know why that was necessary. Oh, it was because the Bulgarians were stealing people's seats. Anyway. Um, Those I know. filthy Soviet bloc idiots. <laughs> yeah, they have no con- they have no concept of private property yet. They're still like working on that. It's like <laughs> it's part of the D. This is 1994, so yeah, we're three years into Bulgarian independence from the Soviet Union, roughly. I think I think it was 91 or 92. I looked this up, but read the whole Bulgarian Wikipedia uh, entry because that's what I do. What else happens? Uh, they meet Draco. <laughs> what else happens? What? So much. I know. So they meet Draco, who's like kind of psyched. He's just sitting there being like coolly drawling as he usually does. What kind of drawl does he have? I don't she, think he's this always is the time described as having a drawl. Anyway, uh, Draco is just a dick, like usual. There's Vila in the woods that everyone is trying to impress. Anyway, uh, eventually, how does this whole winky thing go down again? Um, okay. So the, the kids are, are uh, hiding in the woods, and they see across from them a dark shape cast a spell. Ah, yes. Mors Mordre, or whatever it was. Yeah. Yes, somebody, they hear a voice casting this spell, and it is a big-ass green skull that's, like, vomiting up a snake, where the snake is coming out of the skull yeah. mouth. And it is, ba-ba-ba, the motherfucking Dark Mark. 
a whole bunch of Ministry Wizards apparate and send stunning spells at the kids who luckily duck. Barty Crouch appears and is like, Why did you counter the Dark Mark? Like, caught red-handed. Everyone's like, yo, they're kids. They couldn't possibly do this. Winky is found stunned in the forest with Harry's wand. Harry had realized at some point when they were like running wildly through the forest that he had lost his uh, wand. Winky, for some reason, has Harry's wand. Uh, she is roughly interrogated by Amos Diggory, who performs the Priori and Cantatu charm on the wand to find out the last spell it cast, which was the Dark Mark. Barty Crouch is horrified that his house elf had maybe cast the Dark Mark, even though there's some disagreement about whether Winky would have been able to do that. Seems extremely unlikely. But either way, Barty's like, Caesar's house elf must be above suspicion and says, close, <laughs> close for you. And Wiki is like sobbing and shit. Hermione has a moment of intellectual awakening and uh, defends Winky. Then what? Then, uh, then everybody packs up their shit and leaves in a couple hours. They like have some fitful few hours of sleep. They catch an early port key out of there. Arthur uses magic to pack up all their stuff because he's tired of like the muggle cosplay. He's like, we just gotta go home. Um, there is mayhem at the ministry because, you know, there was this domestic terrorist attack on the World Cup. So that means Arthur and Percy work in extra hours to clean shit up. We have some domestic scenes at the burrow. Harry tells Ron and Hermione about his scar hurting because he thinks it's very curious that his scar hurts for the first time in a long time and then... Lord Voldemort's sign, the Dark Mark. Oh, yeah, that's Lord Voldemort's, like, symbol, is the, like, snake skull. Harry's like, this is gonna be another crazy year. Molly's really sad that she yelled at the twins before they left because they might have been killed by Death Eaters. A muckraking journalist named Rita Skeeter is causing trouble for the Ministry by asking why their security wasn't stricter and where is Bertha Jorkins, the missing ministry employee, seems like a very good question. I, what else? I, there's I like, mean, that's literally everything that happens. That's everything that happens. Ron, Ron gets some dress robes because that's on their uh, their class list. Uh, they look, they're kind of moldy and, uh, and, and frilly. They're very like 18th century looking and uh, pigwidgeon chokes on an owl tree. And that's what happened in this week's chapters. <laughs> That was really good. That was comprehensive. It was. So yeah. we learn more about Lord Voldemort's followers in this chapter. Yeah, they're uh, not they're not nice. They're not awesome. But we also learn that they have kind of like a they have like an aesthetic. I just think it's interesting to think of the ways that like hate groups sort of like consolidate their like look. And then Without warning, the silence was rent by a voice unlike any they had heard in the wood, and it uttered not a panicked shout, but what sounded like a spell. Mors Mordra! And something vast, green and glittering, erupted from the patch of darkness Harry's eyes had been struggling to penetrate. It flew up over the treetops and into the sky. What the gasped Ron as he sprang to his feet again, staring up at the thing that had appeared. For a split second, Harry thought it was another leprechaun formation. Then he realized 
that it was a colossal skull comprised of what looked like emerald stars, with a serpent protruding from its mouth like a tongue. As they watched, it rose higher and higher, blazing in a haze of greenish smoke, etched against the black sky like a new constellation. Suddenly the wood all around them erupted with screams. Harry didn't understand why, but the only possible cause was the sudden appearance of the skull, which had now risen high enough to illuminate the entire wood like some grisly neon sign. He scanned the darkness for the person who had conjured the skull, but he couldn't see anyone. So what do we think of the Dark Mark? What do we think of the Death Eaters, other than we hate them? Well, the Dark Mark is rad as hell, first of all. I know, it's fucking <laughs> cool, right? That was my first thought. I was like, this thing is like, like whoever did the graphic design for Voldemort is awesome. And it's who, a, did, who did do the graphic design? I don't know who came up with the Dark. I assume him himself. Don't, yeah. We don't ever talk about Voldemort's art, only the terrible things he did. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he just he should have been just a, a painter. He just should have been a painter. Yeah. <laughs> All he wanted. He, nobody in the academies recognized his skills, and if only they had. More, more. I'm thinking that'd be like a sick tattoo. Like he just should have been a tattoo artist. Well, the thing is, they all have that. tattoo. Oh, they do have the tattoo. And once You're again, right. like mm -hmm. I gotta say, if even if I weren't a Death Eater, I would be like, this is a badass tattoo. We should probably all get this just because it looks fucking awesome. Yeah, wizard biker gangs definitely have them. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. And you know, it's green, which is the Avada Kedavra. Uh, like yeah. the light the wand gives off when the killing curse is performed. So if I have a criticism of their aesthetics, it's just like it's maybe too much green. Like they could do with maybe like a secondary palette choice. <laughs> yeah, everything's so matchy matchy with the Death Eaters. It is very fucking matchy matchy. They're doing this horrible thing to the Roberts family. It's actually like it's a disturbing scene. Yes, it is. I, I have a question. Is that that's the same spell that? Sirius uses on Snape at the end of Prisoner of Azkaban, right? When he's bringing him out of the Shrieking Shack. It's the exact same spell. And he, you know, he's like casually bumping Snape's head into the ceiling and stuff. I, I um... Yeah. I thought it was pretty, it was pretty interesting that, that sort of the, the mirror of, uh, of that scene appearing in the beginning of this next book. Oh, that is really um, interesting. But, uh, yeah, Sirius is not that much better, it would seem. Oh, I mean, I think that's like a main message of... Well, I guess the whole series is that if you engage in activities like this, it doesn't actually matter like who you're aligning yourself with. Uh, to, a, to be fair, Snape is knocked out. Yeah, he's knocked out because of head trauma. <laughs> like <laughs> overall, like I'm worried about traumatic brain injury in Severus Snape. Yeah, but it's the fact that it's their kids. Yeah, I don't know. I just like this is one of the. It's just we talked about this the last couple episodes, but this book is really different from the first three. Like, yes, that is a totally. very, very dark scene to start with. The other thing that's scary and, like, kind of reminded me of... God, people hate these comparisons, but, like, contemporary American politics is, like, nobody really talks about the fact that there are still Voldemort supporters, like, around. Like, you sort of have this feeling in the first three books that, like, oh, everybody thought he was evil and, like, we're so glad he's gone and, like, good riddance. And this is this the first time that you have this glimpse of the fact that that's not actually true like that it was a pretty split society and mm -hmm. that there are people yeah. that are still very much in his camp which is kind of like how 
you know, we all thought that we agreed that, like, the Klan was bad news. Or, yeah, or, like, the Confederacy was not a great idea. And but, it's, like, uh, turns out <laughs> there is very little agreement on any of that. So, yeah, it's the first time we see, like, current wizards who remain committed to Voldemort's, like, ideology. Right, we knew about the Malfoys, you know, but we could sort of Im- imagine them as being, like, mini-bosses, yeah. you know, like the, the like the last bastions of Voldemortism. But there's no way this whole parade is under the Imperial. No, curtain. no. Like, these people acting of their own free, horrible yeah. wills. And it's, like, the first time they have, like, this, ma- like, a major gathering in this book, like, immediately it turns into, like, a fucking clan rally. So, like, the wizards have some, yeah. like, kind of societal schisms that they haven't actually patched up, which I thought it was really interesting. Right. Because we sort of have the sense that, like, oh, the war's over and everybody had decided who were the good guys and who were the bad guys. And it's, like, that's just clearly not actually where you guys are as a culture. Interestingly, this is the same chapter in which the Ministry Wizards very brutally interrogate Winky the house elf. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I don't think it's... It's like not a coincidence that we see the Death Eater rally and then this scene with Amos Diggory interrogating Winky, even uh, though, you know, Amos is let's talk about on, Amos. The light, on the light side of things. Yeah, but, uh, but let's talk about Amos Diggory because he's meant to be, he's like, right, he's like on our side, presumably. Elf, said Mr. Diggory sternly, do you know who I am? I'm a member of the Department for the Regulation and Control of Magical Creatures. Winky began to rock backward and forward on the ground, her breath coming in sharp bursts. Harry was reminded forcibly of Dobby in his moments of terrified disobedience. As you see, Elf, the Dark Mark was conjured here a short while ago, said Mr. Diggory, and you were discovered moments later right beneath it. An explanation, if you please. I, I, I is not doing it, sir, Winky gasped. I is not knowing how, sir. You were found with a wand in your hand, barked Mr. Diggory, brandishing it in front of her. And as the wand caught the green light that was filling the clearing from the skull above, Harry recognized it. Hey, that's mine, he said. Everyone in the clearing looked at him. Excuse me? said Mr. Diggory incredulously. That's my wand, said Harry. I dropped it. You dropped it, repeated Mr. Diggory in disbelief. Is this a confession? You threw it aside after you conjured the mark? Amos, think who you're talking to, said Mr. Weasley very angrily. Is Harry Potter likely to conjure the dark mark? Uh, of course not, mumbled Mr. Diggory. Sorry, carried away. God. Yeah, he's on our side. He's the dude, you, like, who shows up at the rally, you know, and you're like, well, I guess we're on the same side of this issue. Just, like, please don't start whipping bottles at cops. Like, I'd, li- I'd like this to, say, to stay civil. He's, he's like, he's a meathead. Like, and you can, like, ex- you know, his, like, making fun of Harry Potter when he first meets him. Like, all right. Like, that's, I guess, kind of, that's kind of a jerk hockey dad yeah. thing to do. But now, like now, he's he's just a racist, a speciesist. Yeah. It's, it's he really ridiculous. is like a hockey dad. That's he's oh, he's dumb. very stupid. He's, dumb. he's very stupid. Oh, he's looking for an explanation. He's like, someone cast a dark mark. It was Harry Potter, and they're like, it wasn't Harry Potter. And he's like, oh, I, I mean, it was this house <laughs> like, elf. No, like, it wasn't him either. <laughs> Barty Crouch is awful in that scene too. Mm-hmm. 
that's actually really good foreshadowing because he even has that line where he says like you know that of all people I have shown over and over again through my words and deeds that I tolerate no dark magic or supporters of dark magic and like in light of what we come to know about Barty Crouch like that is a dark line yeah but that guy like that guy I I mean let's return to it just a theme in these books that guy needs some fucking therapy yeah uh family counseling actually yeah they probably all Mm -hmm. should be seeing a therapist yeah upon meeting him you feel like his character flaw is the fact that he's completely unbending but spoilers the thing (laughs) it's actually his humanity that causes everything that happens in this book yeah yeah he's a great he's a super complicated character okay so let's talk about the winky stuff let's talk about winky because we know one house elf we know dobby and we know that his masters are brutal like slave drivers essentially but they're also the malfoys so we know that they're bad guys so now we have a house elf owned by a non-evil character and like her life's not much better so what do we think about house elfdom well so this thing this thing where the only way to dismiss a house elf is to give them clothes like this is the first time that's really laid out like when ron explains it he explains it as like if they get clothes they get their freedom which like immediately sets it up as they're enslaved but it also turns out that if you want to get rid of your house elf you have to give them clothes that's not something that happens to a species naturally that's not that's not evolution no that is magical enslavement. That is a that is a, a curse. Yeah. And that's an interesting thing that even like Ron is often like, oh, they like it. And it's like, no, like that's not intrinsic to their like nature as a creature. Right. Well, that defense. That's a spell. That defense is that's been used by defenders of slavery since like time immemorial. That it's this kind of benign institution that benefits uh both master and enslaved. Yeah. Like, oh, they like they have food to eat and they're like well cared for and like who cares if they're chattel property. Yeah. This is pure blood's burden, people. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The clothing thing, though, in ancient Rome, slaves would receive a liberty cap upon their emancipation. So she's drawing on some historical imagery. Uh uh, there that's cool and it was I, I don't i don't remember exactly what the liberty cap looked like but i think it wasn't like a fancy cap it was just something you put on your head i don't i don't remember but yeah so like receiving clothing as like a symbol of your emancipation is something that goes way back well kind of related to that like clothing as a symbol of like humanity i think is we have to talk about house elves being human because they're not technically human I guess. And that, and Ron says that. Ron sa- Hermione's like, it's like he's not even human. Or it's like she's not even human. And Ron says, well, she's not. And Hermione gets really pissed, which is correct because Ron's an idiot. Yep. But, like, we, I want to talk a little bit about, like, the magical creature taxonomy. Because, like, what... What what the fuck's a magical creature? What, like, what makes, what it makes it a something creature? a creature? Like, I think, like, mini horses are magical to me. <laughs> you know? But, like, uh... Like what's di- like a tiger is pretty cool. Why why isn't a tiger magical? But well, or also panda? like are beings that have the consciousness and the intelligence and like the ability and even sort of the like look of humans 
it seems fucked up to call an elf or a goblin like a creature and have them be subjected to like a ministry department that can control them. Like it's illegal for non-humans to have a wand, which is so oppressive. Yeah. I mean, it's such blatant like speciesist social control. Well, they also seem to be lumped in with um, magical creatures that don't have... Like hippogriffs and like shit. Like hippogriffs that don't have a human-like intelligence. Right. It's like the same committee that kills Buckbeak. Yeah. Which, like, that just doesn't seem good. <laughs> I guess is my point. Right. And wizards are clearly aware that even within animal species, the intelligence varies incredibly, right? Like, Crookshanks is basically human-level intelligence. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and but not he's not an animagus. I think we've determined like he's a cat. No, right, right. So is fucking Mrs. Norris. Um, right, scariest cat in all the land. Well, I don't think Mrs. Norris is Who an knows? animagus. I don't think we can. She's a great mystery. She's actually one of the great mysteries of the series. So they're slaves. Yeah, yeah, and and they have magic, but they don't. They can't do wizard magic. Right. Like they just. So, so let's be clear. There's no way she. Every wizard there should have been immediately aware that there was no way she could have summoned right, the dark no. mark. No, no way. Absolutely not. Even with a wand. And she didn't even walk in that direction without being dragged oh, backwards. Mm-hmm. She de- That's like, so disturbing. Hasn't she been? Yes. At that point, she's been like imperious or something by Barty Crouch Jr. Though, right? Like, there's some like. There's some plot, shit. We don't know. There's some like plot shit going on here. Uh, yeah. Oh. Because he conjures the mark. Yeah. And, like, leaves her at the scene of the crime. But the thing that's interesting is, like, Barty Crouch Jr. is ends up being, he's, like, the villain here. Like, he's... Yeah. But he doesn't treat Winky any worse than any of the good guys. True. Like, his actions toward Winky are, like, 0% worse than how Barty Crouch Jr. or how Amos Diggory or how the fucking Weasleys... Yeah. Talk about house elves. Right. They so, don't have a house elf because they can't afford one, not because they. Yeah, that's a good point. Ron wants a slave. Ron right. talks, and Mrs. Weasley, they talk about wanting right. in, a slave. Yeah, in book, t- in book two, Ron says, Mom's always talking about how awesome it would be to have a house elf, but, you know, they only come with, like, old ass houses and, like, land. Like, only the wizard landed gentry has house elves. Well, and the fact that they're attached to homes. Again, they're like yeah. chattel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the other thing is, like, I think we should talk about Mr. Weasley here because Hermione is having this, like, pretty classic, like, consciousness raising experience um, that I think you would have to be an outsider like Hermione to really experience. Like, being a muggle born, she is much more prone to, like, seeing house elf house elves for what they are but so mr weasley uses like the fucking classic excuse of the like cowardly liberal which is like you're right but that's not what we're dealing with right now so like no no which is not any better no right alex you were saying something the other day about like that excuse what was i saying i don't remember but we were talking why don't it's like the trap right like when are you supposed to talk about it because the issue is so freaking big they are dealing with like essentially a terrorist attack on a major international event. I don't know, I guess just to defend Arthur a little bit, like, you're not going to stop everybody in the woods and be like, okay, let's hash out thousands of years of entrenched... Slavery. Like, yeah, uh, <laughs> like, like institutions. Like, emancipation So right I don't now. know, like, that's a... But, like, there's... That's a hard question, but you have to talk about it sometime. Well, it's like, if not now, when? Right. But Hermione did the right thing by speaking up. 
You know? Uh, like, you have to find those moments to... Uh, she's, like, the well, only ethical character in this book so far. Yeah. You, yeah, you have to find those moments to to insert yourself. But it's, like, it's really hard if you're a member, like, Arthur is, of the uh, upper wizarding cast, in a way, even though he's poor. But, you know, they're, like, an old family. Yeah. And he has a job to protect. And, yeah, but uh, he's so cowardly. He very much, under his breath, is like, no, you're right about slavery, but, like, let's go. I don't want to talk about it right now. Yeah, well, that doesn't reflect great on... Uh, it, it comes up it comes again, right? Like, Hermione brings it up again. At yeah. The mm-hmm. And Molly's like, everyone go upstairs and pack your trunks. Yeah. Molly, like, shuts it down immediately. Right. Nobody wants to have this conversation. It's, like- it's crazy that how a self-emancipation isn't, like the main thing going on in the like every time I think about the house elves I'm like okay there's this whole plot but you guys have slaves (laughs) it really makes you question how the Weasleys actually think about muggles yes you know because it's like if you actually thought about muggles the way you pretend to you know that they are like equal members of society even though they are very different from you then how could you not extend that to the house elves it just seems unlikely to me like I think we're just experiments to them. Like we're 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 interesting. Like right. like zoo. Animals, well, Arthur does. Basically. We've talked about this being delightful, but he does. He fetishizes. fetishizes. Yeah, he fetishizes muggles. Yeah. No. He he um he's into muggles as like a a curiosity. It's like being really into like Native American. Yeah, uh, it's like cultural appropriation essentially. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and so that makes me think. I'm feeling like a lot of empathy like, for Hermione like right having now. Having dream catchers everywhere it or is whatever, like that you shit. know, like. Uh, so, but how how do you think Herm- like Hermione is having this incredibly important realization that like wizards, in a very serious way, are all pretty bad, and like I wonder if she's feeling like all of a sudden like oh maybe I'm not actually as welcome even in the world of the people that have claimed to care for me than than I thought. I think part of her, I mean, I think this is like pretty obvious, but like part of Hermione's whole like house elf emancipation push is just like, if you don't think they're people, like, do you think I'm people? So I'm just wondering if she's like at the Weasley's house all of a sudden being like, oh, like you guys might throw me under the bus. And I feel like that's that fear like of... I don't know, like a model minority, for example, mm-hmm. of just like this racism, like it's not extending to me right this moment for like non-ideological reasons. Like right now, it's not convenient for you to fear me, but like you would. Right. Hermione in this chapter is basically discovering intersectionality. Fuck yeah, girl. Woke Hermione. That's far seeing on uh, the author's part, I would say. It is. To portray the, in a very subtle way, because these aren't things... That we weren't having these Twitter conversations uh, when Goblet of Fire came out. Well, the book takes place in '94, but the book, uh, but it was published in I don't, I don't like remember when 2000s. it was published. Yeah, that's book three. That's book three. Um, yeah. wait, I have a question though. Actually, speaking of like authorial intent, do you think that what is Rowling's take on Hermione's like house elf stuff? Because universally, everyone in the book thinks she's foolish. Do we think that? Is she, is Rowling portraying it as kind of like a lark or does she think that Hermione is like correct? Well, it's interesting. I I think like we know that Hermione, spoilers, goes on to become the Minister of Magic, right? Yes. If that's the case and Rowling took, I know Rowling didn't write Cursed Child, but she signed off on it. But uh, 
if Rowling thinks that this is a worthy quest and that it's like Hermione is going to take it seriously, then when she's Minister of Magic, we should hear about this incredibly significant thing that she supposedly would then do, right? She becomes Minister of Magic. Does she not then free all the house elves? Like, I don't think she does. Yeah, I, I don't think she does. It's not even mentioned as far as I can remember. I don't think so. Was, that's certainly not part of the plot. I think I, I, I seem to recall in some of the, like, extra Pottermore material that she becomes head of the department and control of ma- the, for the regulation of magical creatures in between and, like, improve and improves, like, working conditions. Okay, but that's, but that's really yeah, that's, different that's, from emancipation. That's, that's, yeah. absolute, that's yeah. like, <laughs> what is the, there's a word for, like, this incremental progress towards civil rights. Uh, and it's not a good word. I right, forget right. what it is. But, like, it's not laudatory. So I do. I think Rowling, I actually am not going to give Rowling that much credit because I think she's portraying it as basically, like, a girlhood lark. Like, you know, when, like, when... Aaron became a vegetarian. <laughs> your, your sister. My sister. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like how um, kids go through phases where they're like really passionate about like the like some kind of like social cause, but you're like, oh, like she'll grow out of this particular well, one. This is um this is something we're gonna revisit again and again, but um a lot of the bad things that happen to our heroes hinge on mistreatment of house elves. That like, is with really seri- true. With Sirius in book five. I mean, Siri, like, uh, serious, the relationship is, between we're gonna talk and about We're going to talk about this mm-hmm. a lot, but, like, my probably least popular opinion on these books, other than that I think Dumbledore is an old fool, is that Sirius basically gets what's coming to him. Oof. I mean, yo, like, he abuses the shit out of this chattel slave, and the slave betrays him, and it's some Nat Turner shit. That's, I mean, you're and, right. And, like, but we'll talk about that in book five. Yeah, he's terrible. Right, right. He's a terrible uh, person. And an Sirius is really awful. A lot of the time. I mean, he's also super traumatized by Azkaban. So, like, you can understand that he, like, he should go to therapy. Yeah, not enough. There's not enough mental health care uh, in these books in general. And just in general, in the muggle world. No. He, he breaks a little boy's leg to get at his pet rat. Yes, the pet rat is a murderer. But he broke Ron's leg. Oh, yeah. No, he... <laughs> fucked Ron up. That is not a good scene. Oh, yeah. No, Sirius serious. is out of control. He's super out of control. And well, like when he dies, it's not surprising. Anyway, and the other in also in Rowling's defense, not defense because we're not really attacking her, we're just analyzing it. Also Rowling did make the choice to link wizard treatment of house elves with this death eater attack. Yes, that's true. And they appear in the same No, I mean I think she's yeah. like she's Pro house elf emancipation, but I don't think that she thinks that Hermione is like um, effective. Effective, which you know maybe she's not. I don't know. I'm excited to talk about the Society for the Promotion of Elfish, elfish Welfare when we get there. Yeah. So we meet Rita Skeeter. Kind of, we see her byline for the first time, <laughs> and she makes some points that everybody is very offended by, but that are extremely fucking valid. Like, why was there no security at the, uh... Yeah. <laughs> the, there was a lot of, like, at the Wizard the Quidditch World Cup, there was a lot of, like, security theater where, like, oh, you can't use, like, matches. Not matches. You can't use wands to light fires. You gotta use matches. But, uh, then the main thing that you should be concerned about, which is not letting Death Eaters into your party, uh, that happens. 
how do you prevent them? Like, that's true. I don't know. I, I guess you it, it, you can create no apparate zones, right? So like they could have set up like a gate system where you take a port key to a place, then get in line and go through security or whatever. But Death Eaters look exactly like the rest of us. So if they're already there, yeah. Security is also impossible because everyone's carrying yeah. a gun, basically. Yeah. yeah, it's a really good argument <laughs> you know, for arms like you're not controls. gonna <laughs> you're not gonna have uh, you're not gonna have like a metal detector because everyone has uh, wooden killing right. machines. Right, right. He's gonna search uh, for the dark mark. He's gonna search. <laughs> you know? that's actually a really good question of like how how would the ministry have prevented any of this well you could make everyone walk past a faux glass right one of those things oh, that yeah. i don't yeah. know at the end of the day the only thing that can stop a bad wizard with a wand is a good wizard with a wand <laughs> <laughs> you know? it's actually the nra's perfect society because it's armed to the teeth yeah, uh, and as a result, it's super fucking violent. And except terrible. I do think I do Wild think a, I do think a muggle with a machine gun probably has a better chance against uh, a, a wizard just because uh, of like fire rate. A house elf with a machine gun would be amazing. Yeah, oh, I would watch that snuff. Film. Oh my god, that'd be like a Quentin Tarantino film. I would watch where that Dobby movie. Dobby comes and just kills all the Malfoys. Oh my god, the hell like, is um, Dobby? Also, where has Dobby been? Dobby's at Hogwarts. Dobby's, yeah, Dobby's... Dobby works at Hogwarts. Dobby's negotiating for better wages. It, I just, it, it's weird to me that he doesn't keep watching over Harry. Yeah. But you know, you know what? Dobby's on his own journey. Yeah. Dobby's, like, out here, like, trying to figure out how you, like, you know, sign up for health insurance. <laughs> Dobby would be hella useful breaking Sirius out. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. God, Dobby is the best character. Dobby's actually underused. Oh, yeah. yeah. Dobby's hugely underused. They don't even think to look for it. Whatever. No. No, <laughs> like, no let's use homework time travel. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Dobby. Oh, shit. Um, anyway, yeah. Rita Skeeter is making good points. J.K. Rowling has a really interesting... In- relationship with the press and like now she's by the time this book comes out she's like really really famous yeah she's an international so she like and like we know that the british press is like notoriously tabloidy and doesn't give a shit about security so i feel like rita skeeter is like a really she's clearly a going concern with rolling she predicts phone hacking she does that's absolutely true yeah um but it's funny because Rita is like, she's not a, she's, she's pretty amoral. Yes, she's extremely pretty mercenary, mm-hmm. but um, she's not wrong. No, sir, and certainly not no. about Bertha Jorkins. I mean, her looking into that, that's the, and she, unfortunately, she never gets to the real story, which then it's linked to the return right. of Lord Voldemort. But her looking into that, that is what Pulitzer Prize winning investigations are made of. That's where they're born. Yeah. She's asked this question nobody else is asking and starts nosing around. Where where they you don't know? want her to nose around because they are covering something up that is terrible. They are right. I mean, I they're like... I don't know. It's it's more like ranking competence than covering well, it up. no, they're covering it up. Well, Barty's because... certainly covered. Well, no, Barty doesn't know. Yeah, Barty knows. Barty's saying but we should look into it. He doesn't know his, he doesn't know his son has escaped from his containment in the house at this point. No. But he does know 
that Bertha is missing. I mean that they're. I don't mean that they're covering up what happened. Oh, he's been Bertha, pushing for them to look harder because Percy mentions it. But they have been pushing internally. Right. They are covering it up externally. Yes. It is an external secret that somebody has just straight up disappeared. Right. Right. So they're. they're that's a cover up. I think that counts as a cover up. There's it's, a missing person. It's a soft. It's a soft cover up. It's an easy cover up because people disappear. All the time in their society. That's true. Soft, yeah, they they do. They splinch. Oh they my like God. vanish and end up in two Ooh. places. So I guess we have to make some allowances for uh, crazy wizard transportation. She just may have ended up in like a fireplace on the other side of the world. She's just like stuck you know? behind like a, a fake fireplace yeah, front. Know? People are always just wandering off into the woods and then getting eaten. Like it's a it's a real problem. <laughs> <in their society. laughs> um, it's true. But it is just, like, it's funny how indignant Molly is about the portrayal. And it's like, I mean, none of them are great at their jobs, Molly. (laughs) Or, like, the other thing that's funny is when Molly's like, oh, like, they're working him so hard. It hasn't been like this since you know who was around. And it's like, is that really our main concern right now? Is, like, his hours are too long? He's overworked and underpaid. That's fair. He's underpaid. I just, like, sometimes... metal. Sometimes Molly kind of can't see the forest for the trees. Yeah. Well, the Rita stuff rings true to anybody who's ever been, like, the subject of, uh, like, a news story, you know, where it's like, "Ah, I didn't quite see it that way. It is true that, like, everybody finds press coverage of themselves unfair, even when, like, as a general rule, you get why, like, a free press matters. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's funny because Molly even switches, pivots immediately when she's talking about how unfair they're being to Arthur. And then Bill's like, yeah. They describe me as a long-haired pillock in the article about the Gringotts charm breakers. And she's like, well, I don't know, Rita kind of has a point. <laughs> you know? She so, hates his hair so much. You know. So the ministry's getting howlers. Neither Mr. Weasley nor Percy was at home much over the following week. Both left the house each morning before the rest of the family got up and returned well after dinner every night. It's been an absolute uproar. Percy told them importantly the Sunday evening before they were due to return to Hogwarts. I've been putting out fires all week. People keep sending howlers. And of course, if you don't open a howler straight away, it explodes. Scorch marks all over my desk and my best quill reduced to cinders. Oh, my God. Uh, Yeah. How is this? Can we talk a little bit about how this howler magic works? Like, I mean, I love it. The comedy of it's. Excellent. It's awesome magic, and I definitely am glad that it exists. But, like, so we find out early on that if you get a howler, you have to open it or it explodes and then shouts itself at you anyway. You're either going to get shouted at or you're going to get an explosion and then get shouted at, right? (laughs) Um, So fine. But then it has to know when it's been delivered. You know, it's not like this message will self-destruct in five minutes, regardless of if it's open. Like, it knows it's been given to you. Right. So, Percy Weasley, poor, I mean, look, Percy's Percy's an idiot, but poor Percy Weasley is just at work, and he has, like, mail piling up on his desk, and every once in a (laughs) while, it just explodes. And it, like, <laughs> marks on his desk, it burns his best quill. I mean, like, if, if, let's say there were five of them set by the same person that he didn't know were there. Like, you could kill a person. Yeah, that's, that, no, those are letter thinking, bombs. Yeah, that's they're letter bombs. And they don't mm-hmm. know they've been delivered, clearly. They, like, know, they, 
he hasn't seen them or he would open them. You're he's right, not, yeah, the bottom of the in tray. Yeah. It's super weird. Well, I think so it's like it's, he's not opening them fast enough or something. Like, I think he's aware that some of them are in there, but he, like, there's so many, he, like, can't get through them all until they, like, blow up. Why do they keep delivering them to him? That's true. That is a good question. They should sort them out. They should have, like, a howler zone. I mean, but maybe there's a charm where, like, they have to get delivered. Like, maybe there's part, like, part of Howler magic is that you can't just not deliver them. Like, there's some kind of, like, imperative. Then it's way charm. more dangerous than a bomb. Like, way. Oh, it's crazy <laughs> dangerous. No, howlers are, like, this funny joke. And if you think about it for even a minute, it's like, no, like, that's, you are sending bombs yeah. to the government. Yeah, I would not want to be on, like, a mail, I guess, those owls, man, have got to be, like, sweating that out. Right. Oh, my God. <laughs> Oh, that's right. Hedwig's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> Hedwig never has to deliver. Hope Howler. my payload doesn't explode well, midair. Well, the other thing that when, okay, if we think about it this way, the fact that a, like parents send these to their children <laughs> is crazy. You're sending your child a bomb to like shout at them for like making a mess. Yep. Yeah. Like it's... Neville Longbottom gets a bomb in the mail so does from Ron. his grandmother. So does Ron. Mrs. Weasley sends Ron a fucking mail bomb. Yep. <laughs> Scorch marks. Oh, crazy. Amazing. You know what I do think, though? I do think it's interesting that there, it kind of does play on this, like, psychological phenomenon of, like, people, like, won't do something that they know is going to be bad, even if they know not doing it is going to be worse. Like, yes. that is a mm-hmm. demonstrated, That's like, a- psychological effect. That's true. So maybe it's not that they, like, maybe it's just that, honestly, like, Percy is avoiding opening them, even though he knows that that's dumb. Because I feel like that's, like, people do that all the right. time. Yeah, that's one of her skills as a writer, as, like, a fantasy writer, is taking these kind of emotional truths and making this sort of physical, magical experience. Right. Of, or metaphor. I, I mean, I'm that's kind like, of butch- I'm kind of butchering that. Well, that's but, like what procrastination yeah. is. I mean, mm-hmm. basically the howlers are like procrastination bombs. Yeah. Because it's like, this will be worse. This will be worse. This will be worse. And people are like, oh, well, yeah. I guess it's just going to explode because I can't deal with it right now. Yeah. But, and then, yeah. And then, right. And then it's inevitable because you hear, you hear it anyway. Also, right, let's not exactly. forget that Percy's real dumb. Like, Percy's <laughs> very, very dumb. He, like, yeah, he's, know, he's prefect, head boy and all that. But he also, like, recommended Professor Trelawney as a teacher. Oh, yeah. To Hermione. Yeah, he, like, he loved Trelawney. Yeah. It's insane to me. Um, <laughs> the only thing he's right about is that Ludo Bagman is a fraud. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but we all know that. Yeah. You know who else is fucking stupid in this chapter is Ron. Ugh. Ron. I, I hate Ron, kind of. I don't hate Ron. I get why he, like, needs to be around. He's a good friend to Harry. He is Dumb as a bag of hammers. Yeah, we get some, er- this is some really early meathead Ron behavior. We get a lot of it throughout <laughs> the book, but like. It's so true. The, his, when he sees the Vila, you know, and immediately, like Harry is unaffected by the Vila, but Ron. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's, yeah. Harry's got less of that toxic masculinity shit going on. Yeah. 
Yeah. Harry's um, sort of affected in the last chapter, but in yeah, in this chapter, he's like more able to be like, yo, we're doing something else right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, not. and he also like he learns from the first time he encounters them. He like gets what their effect is and he's able to like immediately like he prepares himself right. and like gets pat and like and Ron there's that whole line where Hermione is like, Ludo Bagman's not very good at his job, is he? And Ron's like, Yeah, but he's very good at sports. Yeah. <laughs> he's amazing. He's an amazing Quidditch player. And it's like if they made like I don't know if they made fucking like Charles Barkley, like the head of HUD, which actually is something Donald Trump would do. Yeah. And people were like, Barkley's not great at this job. And someone was like, he's good at basketball, though. So that seems transferable. <laughs> Shaq is running nah. for sheriff of somewhere. I'm not sure. Really? On where. Wait, yeah. that's yeah. actual Ludo Bagman. Yeah. He, he like, yeah. announced on a radio show on an, in an interview in, in an Atlanta radio show that he's, he's running for sheriff. But the the host neglected to ask him where of, so we still don't actually <laughs> just sheriff, just Nottingham. sheriff, right. just sheriff. Uh, um, is he? What's his like political bent? Shaq? Yeah, well, he's super pro law enforcement. <clears throat> he's been a he's been a, like a, a deputy uh, and a number oh, of yeah. he, like moved around, and he, he actually lost his badge for um, releasing the Kobe "Tell Me How My Ass Taste" rap. Um, he <laughs> his deputy badge in. Uh, yeah, didn't he go? He went to like community. Didn't he like go back to school like yeah. in the off season to like get his criminal justice degree? Oh, yeah, that's pretty cool. Yep. Good yeah. for you, Shaq. So I'd say um, Republican, but who knows? Um, <laughs> all right, so whatever. Maybe Shaq. Maybe maybe Shaq will actually be better at his job than Gerald. Uh, Gerald Ford was a football player. He played college ball. Yeah. I don't mean that all uh, people he wasn't who great play sports it, I think. are I don't know. meatheads. I just mean that Ludo Bagman is yeah. not good at being he in the ministry shouldn't. because he was a good beater. He's really enthusiastic, though. <laughs> Arthur. I just Arthur think Ron's a moron. I love that Arthur fucking loves Ludo Bagman. Yeah, he's not Arthur, there like, when Ludo staggers out of the woods, right? He's not. He doesn't no, see it. Yeah. he doesn't see that. Is Ludo's coming from his weird like Ludo just has a gambling problem, yeah. right? Because mm-hmm. he's shifty as fuck this whole book, and I think he we're meant to think that he's like up to something. He's a red herring, but he's just like up to like the goblins are like trying to shake him down. Yeah. All right, and then do you want to talk about how Molly Weasley um just goes to Gringotts? <laughs> yeah. Well, so I, as as Alex pointed out, probably Harry gives her his key, but. We don't really know that, and that's a huge security flaw. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So she he she comes back from Diagon Alley. She's like bought all of the kids. First of all, how does she carry all that shit? It's, that's an she needs a magic carpet. Shrinks yeah. it, maybe. Maybe I don't know. Um, but one so of one of the things like Hermione has. Yeah. Oh, that's right. One of the things she has done is pull out a shit ton of gold for Harry from Gringotts. <laughs> like must. Like, hurt her a little bit to be like oh Damn. that yeah that's vicious also yeah. to have her do that that's really cruel and she comes back she's like bought harry these beautiful robes with his own money and ron has this like moldy bathrobe with lace that's Maroon, dark. right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. did he i the don't know possible color for a redhead to wear oh yeah no maroon is not a good look pink <laughs> is okay Sure. Grandma Betts used to tell me I wasn't allowed to wear pink, but I have dispensed with that. But maroon is not good. <laughs> um. So yeah, Mrs. Weasley just fucking wanders into Gringotts. Well, we know a cat can take out money, so why not? <laughs> right. Why not she, Mrs. Weasley? 
Yeah, the goblins are just fine with it. They're like, yeah, we've seen you with Harry Potter. This makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you seem safest you seem place cool. in the world, Gringotts. <laughs> So I had some thoughts about Molly in, in general in this chapter, and that's that... Can anyone describe what Molly's, like, personality is outside of basically being, like, a mom? She loves, uh... She... Yeah, she... Well, she's, she, she strikes me as someone who loves romance novels, and that's about it. That's all I've got. Yeah, but, I mean, that's sort of, like, in that the, like, stereotypical, like, homemaker... She's really appealing character because, you know, Harry has, like, such a hard home life with the Dursleys, but... I don't know, it just struck me reading this chapter is how stock Molly is. You know, she's very ar- very archetypal. She's completely defined by her relationships with uh, her husband and her children. And she sort of does, yeah, she's like, she loves like Witch Weekly and JK lavishes a lot of attention on like the kind of domestic instruments in the house and like the recipe books and... Um, I, I I don't know. I just uh, Arthur is given a lot more of an internal life and like things to do outside of family. We know that he's like pretty thoughtful about wizard muggle relations. We know that he likes to collect plugs and that he's a tinkerer. And I don't know, Mo- Molly. Uh... Well, she she and Petunia right are our two examples of homemakers, right. and they're both super archetypal. Like they. They are like, and we know that Rowling can write strong women in, in at least in the wizarding society. Um, so I always, I sort of assumed that it's, it's almost a, a, a commentary on the sort of relegation of women in both societies. Like it doesn't matter if you have magic, you're still going to end up being this like stay at home mom who listens to the same radio shows every day while she does the housework. Their lives are like very similar. They both revolve entirely around their children while, like, while the husband is out of the house living life. Yeah, Petunia's Um, a really good comparison. I mean... I I just, I found it sort of being an over-fetishized version of, like, motherhood. I do think that, I do think that if there's, like, a part of how we... Because I think you're right, a lot of it is really commentary on the fact that, like, muggles... I mean, wizards, for all their differences from muggles, like, haven't escaped this, like, really rigid, like patriarchy essentially but I also think that yeah I think Mrs. Weasley is is fetishized as a as like a maternal figure and so my question kind of is like because giving Rowling some credit I think that's because these books are told from Harry's perspective like I think we get Harry's profound longing for a mother and we we make a lot of Harry's um like for sort of like father relationships like Harry has a lot of stand-in male parental figures and all of them are really 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 complicated in various ways um and like bad a lot of the time like for my money Remus Lupin is like the best one he gets and that guy's a werewolf so I think Mrs. Weasley's like stockness, I do, it does bother me because like she isn't given very much at all to do. But I think part of why she's so idealized is because she's basically Harry's only mother. Like there aren't that many women, adult women in these books that Harry sort of like trusts the way he trusts 
he would trust a mother. It's interesting, though, because they don't really have much emotional intimacy, though, do they? Like, do they ever discuss anything? But the thing is, that's not that's not what he's looking for. Right. Like, he's looking for protection and, like, unconditional love and, like, really basic care. So part of what I think Mrs. Weasley provides is just, like, all she does is care for people. And all Harry needs is to be cared for. Uh, he, he's not looking for... Uh, fleshed out mom character he's like looking for the image of a mother he's looking for something to fill in the void that everybody else has that he doesn't know what a fleshed out mother is like you know he's no No. idea nothing to compare it to um right so his image is just like just like petunia only she loves everybody even me only she's nice yeah right Right. so i actually think Mm. maybe that the reason molly weasley is portrayed the way because then like as the books progress like molly gets more complicated yes yes like and you know my favorite we're this getting a little ahead of ourselves but my favorite molly is the molly who thinks that Sirius is full of shit yeah so like and so some of the things that feel really stock about her in this book like they get really fleshed out because her sort of like mama bear thing stops being kind of like stereotypical and starts being this like really intense like emotional right. like driver she stops being nice and she starts getting real <laughs> <laughs> I think that does bug me is that Molly doesn't get to go to the World Cup. I do like maybe she's not into sports. But even then, like it's her whole family. Yeah, she having, has to go shopping. That's right. fucked up. Her they, whole family goes is to the having Olympics this like in, adventure and, uh, together. Right. It's like your whole family goes to the Olympics <laughs> and you go to the grocery store. But guys, think how short the lines must have been in Diagon Alley while the. That's <laughs> true. That's true. That is uncompensated labor, though. She's it doing is. a lot of. Uh, she does a ton because the other. She's doing thing, a lot of emotional labor. The other thing and, and this, uh, actual labor. This is like yeah. my kind of subversive take on it. Is I think J.K. Rowling is like making a lot of statements about like I don't think Molly doesn't have anything going on because Molly doesn't have anything going on. I think she's seen through the eyes of her male children. Yeah. Who don't see her as a whole person. Wow. Nobody ever thanks Mrs. Weasley. No No one's ever like, you oh, have a bang does. up job. Harry does. Okay, well, there we Harry go. Harry does. And, you know, Hermione does to some extent. But I also think that Hermione and Mrs. Weasley develop some interesting tensions. Yeah. Because, whatever, because Hermione is a baller and, like, my model of womanhood. And she kind of pushes back on some of Mrs. Weasley's, like, domestic bullshit. Yeah. So, yeah, Mrs. Weasley, though, like... Eh, interesting. She is interesting. More layers there than maybe I was at first saw, but I, I don't know, something... I chafed at her in this for the first time in these chapters. Yeah. Or not her, but the, like, the... Scr- the not the portrayal. The kind of portrayal of her. Mm-hmm. Um, well... She just... She has to spend... I really feel bad for her because she spends a lot of time just being worried. Yes. Like, her sort of main But that's what being mode. a... I mean mom's like worry well yeah so i don't think that part's inaccurate i think yeah. part of being but i do think it's sexist I, to make the assumption that only moms I, worry. the the, cl- the clock is a great manifestation of like domestic worry i love with that the, clock. the hands that point to like prison mortal peril right because working it's, it's like whoever made that is somebody who has a mother's mind yes because it like, doesn't where is everybody what are they doing are they in the right well, place and most of the things on it are negative yes. so it's like it doesn't point to like having a party like really <laughs> better self-actualized not it better it, not point to having a party but you know what i mean like it doesn't it all of its sort of like indicators are negative so it feels really true to like the kind of like mental like that's probably what my mom thinks she's like where's heather right now and her first scroll podcasting 
well, she probably knows that, but like my mom's first scroll through is probably like, do we think she's dead? It's possible. Is she in a river? Maybe. <laughs> like that clock is really great. Or Aaron, has she fallen off a roof? Probably. Right. Aaron's arrow is perpetually pointing at hospital. Or mortal peril. (laughs) Yeah, or mortal peril. I love that clock. That clock is one of my favorite magical objects in the book. We don't spend enough time thinking about it. Does it it end up on mortal peril? They're all on mortal peril in the books? Yeah, that's the best part Mm -hmm. is like in book seven, maybe not, maybe even earlier than that. Maybe like starting in book five. It's book five. They're all at the Yeah. Wow. All the hands are at mortal peril all the time. It's like a really good, yeah, that's a great object. This, wow. These books are littered with really good magical objects, and I don't think that's one that gets She's like, really due. awesome at material culture. She is. Could that clock be fooled, slash could the ministry use it to keep tabs on people? Oh, is it a surveillance device? Yes. It is. It, seem, it seems like this was artisanal, though. Yeah, it's a really, really beautiful piece of internet tracking software. <laughs> <laughs> the UX is so great. Yeah. I mean, it's so convenient. Uh, wouldn't it be great to know where everyone is at all times? Uh, yeah, if the ministry had a big one. We know oh, they're able no, to, like... No, but I think the ministry hey, can it's track... Waze. That's what it's it what? Is. It's the Waze app. It is Waze. <laughs> and it's just culling big data from oh, all Oh, the ministry clearly can't track everybody because they don't know where the fuck Bertha Jorkins is. Well, Bertha Jorkins doesn't have a clock. And she's dead. Yeah, word. But, you know... That's weird like that it doesn't scene. point to dead. Oh, yeah. yeah, what does the hand Maybe do the, if you die? It just You're, falls it off. Only, oh, it just man. falls off. That's horrible. Ugh. Oh, it's like, like a clang. Yeah. Oh. Like, <gasps> like with oh. Fred. Oh, God. Sorry. Sorry, guys. This got dark. This is going to stay dark. It is going to, yeah, we're, it's dark from it's here on out. It's just going to get darker. We're on the downward plunge of the roller coaster of the Quibbler podcast. I have a, a couple of things that occurred to me as we were talking um, that, okay, First of all, boy, did they miss a like a perfect opportunity to beat the shit out of Draco Malfoy. Yo, I know. They just walk right past him. He, he's talking shit. And you yeah. know that everyone who would defend him is over there in the parade torturing muggles, obviously not looking because Harry Potter's standing right there. And Crab and Goyle are not there. He's just running no. his goddamn mouth. But no, he's alone. <laughs> Hermione should punch him in the face again at very least. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, but and he says really, really nasty oh, but so true bad. stuff. He's, he's just so like he, I had a little part of me that was like, is this Draco giving an actual warning? Like no. Uh uh-uh. no. No, that's I, I don't, don't okay. No. He he's constantly threatening Hermione and saying she needs to get out of there. He doesn't actually want her out of there. That's true. No, he'd love it. I just, you know? I gave him, I had a brief moment where I gave him a little credit. And uh-uh. I was like, oh, is he no like. No fucking way. Okay, fair. Yeah. I don't no think Rowling has randomly decided to give him credit yet. The Malfoys. She does later. Did the Malfoys are unreconstructed up to the last possible moment. Yep. Yep. You know, so. <laughs> what else did I have? Oh, um, yeah. Look, I don't want to constantly get bogged down in this time travel thing. <laughs> but. But. If there were ever a time to, there are multiple instances in this book where you could go back like 15 minutes and change the entire outcome just by observing things without touching anything. Like, for example, figuring out who cast the Dark Mark. The yep. entire ministry is there. They all know time turners are a thing. Hermione is there. Harry is, they, she wore one. Like, just go back five minutes and stand there and see who summoned it. That would be right. much easier. It would. 
it would. No, that it's... That's only for academic study. It's right, so Kyle. nonsense that the fact that she introduced it... Kyle and I have talked about the slots. It almost ruins the series. Yes. Like, time travel comes very close to making the rest of this series, like, moot. Yep. Right. Every time even something tiny like that happens, you're just like, oh my god, just go check. You can manipulate time. Right. <laughs> oh, you're so right. Uh, How do you play three-on-three Quidditch? I don't know how you play any Quidditch other than the real Quidditch. Is there's... it like pickle? Like, yeah, how do you play? Because they were saying, like, like to take Harry's mind off it, Ron says, let's, we'll play three-on-three. Three. How? What are you that playing? Make, that, like, is there one seeker, one keeper, and a Chaser? I would assume there are no bludgers. You just play without bludgers. You don't need you don't need beaters. It's just a right. chaser, a seeker, and a keeper. I bet chaser. it's actually not even that. I bet it's there's no snitch. I bet you're playing just with the quality. Uh, like, well, that seems like a better that. fucking game. <laughs> Much but better. I, I bet you're just playing like air basketball, essentially. They should add three on three Quidditch to the cup. They should. Which they're do, they're, they're adding they're three on three basketball, basketball to the Olympics. Yeah. What? Yeah, they're adding yeah. three on three basketball. Baller. That's gonna be lit. Oh my god. <laughs> Finally uh, all those guys from the N1 mixtape will get their Olympic medals. I know. <laughs> <laughs> we have to have you on an actual Quidditch episode, Kyle, sometime. Oh, you know a lot about sports. Yeah. I Maybe we do sports. a special. We'll do it. Yeah, you got the two of you can do a Quidditch, Quidditch special. special. We so, should. That would be I would amazing. I would be I would be out, but super like to listen to it. Kyle, who's your unsung hero? Oh, Rita Skeeter. First uh-huh. time we meet her, she's totally right, and it's a great portrayal of her character for what's to come. She's a good writer, too. Yeah. A little bit purple prose. Well, you know. yeah. Well, I, you know, she gets a little flowery because she can dictate, and for some reason, nobody else in the wizarding world has bothered to pick up these quills that will just write when you talk. <laughs> uh, quick quill. Wow. Right? Is that yeah. what it's called? Why doesn't anybody else quotes, have one of those? Quick quotes quill. Right. Like, Ron could actually do his fucking homework. I find dictation yeah. to be very distracting. I don't care for it. No, it's a great way to take notes in class, though. You can't talk. To, oh, oh, yeah. You said it to just set, you it, set to, it to whoever. Just uh, set it to like listen to Professor yeah. Bin. Oh, you're right. And then history is more interesting because it embellishes. Yeah. <laughs> that is a good point. That's a great point. Oh, that's in- yeah. well. We'll get yeah. We'll get to the quick the quick quotes quill later. I have some questions about that. Well, right. We haven't actually met it yet. That's fine. Who's your unsung hero? My unsung hero heroes are Charlie, Bill, and Percy. Shit's going down at the Quidditch World Cup, and they're like, put me in, coach. Let's fucking roll. We're rolling deep. Charlie gets, like, uh, really badly hurt. Bill. Bill. Bill's, like, bleeding. So we're not going to have many times for Percy to be an unsung hero, but I'll say this for Percy. He's, like, fatuous. He's not a coward. He's, like, I'm ready to go, you know? He's, like, ready to get, like, go bust Death Eater skulls. He still is a Gryffindor. Yeah, he's still a Gryffindor. He, like, has amount, a certain amount of, like, physical courage. Sometimes it's directed in the wrong, like, his, like, energies are often directed in the wrong places. But, uh, you know, in Chamber of Secrets, he's, like, really down to lead first years through the corridors when there's a literal monster running around. He's not afraid to search the castle for Sirius Black. He's not a coward. Yeah, that is he's really like, true. He's ready to roll, man. So the Weasley boys are my unsung heroes. Minus Ron. Ron's an idiot. Ron has to go run to the forest. (laughs) But he's 14. Minus Mundungus Fletcher. I think this is the first time we actually meet or hear his name. 
he's such a great like no good nick <laughs> um and he's trying to run like a spectacularly dumb insurance fraud scheme basically mundungus is like no i had a 25 person or a 25 room tent can you please pay me <laughs> and arthur weasley's like he literally had a bindle stick the, and that was the it. fact that the Ministry of Magic is able to process like insurance claims uh, blows my mind. It sounds like not effectively. You know, when they don't have like, they have like wizard actuaries. That no, nobody can do math. <laughs> there doesn't seem to be like a very sophisticated like structure of like civil courts. <laughs> God, I don't know. Yeah. Seems very arbitrary. All right. I think that'll do it for us. Yeah. This week's episode is brought- Wait, Kyle had something oh, to go say. For it. Oh, I, I just. No, it was just another quibble about how after the Dark Mark is cast, after the Dark Mark is cast, what, 10 ministry wizards apparate, and they all apparate in a circle some 20 yards from where the Mark was summoned that just happens to be around three wizards who had nothing to do with, why wouldn't you teleport underneath the Dark Mark? It's weird that they all show up there. And then in like a display that demonstrates why wizard security is so bad, they're standing in a circle shooting at each other. <laughs> like oh we cast so many fucking charms maybe somebody far outside of this <laughs> ring is just passed out somewhere so we just like carpet bombed the forest with stunners <laughs> <laughs> they do they shoot at each other uh, over the kids heads yeah wow how did they not and, all knock them yeah there's an actual circular firing squad in this chapter <laughs> yeah that, that's all uh, i got that's true all right that's a good note to end it on this week's episode is brought to you by gringotts bank need some money we got that uh I, no ca- ID necessary. Cat, mom, as long as you got a key or even just, I don't, I don't know. It doesn't work. <laughs> uh, it's like. Green guts. It doesn't work. It, green guts. It doesn't work. It's like um, Venmo is more secure, probably. I don't know. Maybe not. The audiobook clips that you heard in this episode are from Jim Dale's performance of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire courtesy of Penguin Random House Audio. We are on many places of socials. That was not a sentence. At Quibbler Podcast on Twitter and on Instagram, facebook.com slash Quibbler Podcast. Tinyletter.com slash Quibbler Podcast. You can sign up there for our newsletter. Which it's is, mostly birds. It's mostly owl news, but uh, there's other insights too. Good links if you need more links to click in your life. Kyle, do you want to tell anybody... Do you want to tell people to look at anything on the internet? Uh, yeah. Well, there's there's uh, my webcomic, Adventure Team Alpha, on rareearthcomics.com. There is uh, my web series reviews on webvguide.com. Um, and soon, back up and running, will be my film review site where I compare movies to Predator. Fuck yeah. I didn't even know you did that. That's amazing. Yeah, it's a 100-point scale. It's very scientific. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we will link to Wait, those we things should in apply, the newsletter. We should apply that system for the Goblet of Fire film review. Yeah. When Do you want to oh, come yeah. back on and do the movie yeah. mini and compare it to Predator? Absolutely. <laughs> I would love okay. that. You're locked into that. Sweet. Um, that's a hard commitment. Yeah, it is a hard commitment. So that's it. We didn't get to talk to Apple, which is bullshit, but whatever. Um, maybe some other time you guys will get to talk to a baby. Next week, we are reading Aboard the Hogwarts Express and the Triwizard Tournament. So shit's getting real. Get ready. It's going to be great. Thanks, amigos.
Mundungus Fletcher's put in a claim for a 12-bedroom tent with ensuite jacuzzi. But I've got his number. I know for a fact he was sleeping under a cloak propped on sticks. 